Today we're going to talk about the, uh, the grace effect, or uh, my title is uh, the mad about grace. Mad about grace. Now, first off, it says, you know, what is grace? What is grace? Well, well, what is, I have um, a grandson, and his name is Ethan. Now, to precursor that, before him came faith and hope. Now, if Ethan had been a girl, I was pulling for charity grace. Instead, I got Ethan. It didn't work. So, if Ethan had been a girl, charity grace would have been a good name. So, that could have been grace. Okay? Then, if, if, if you're cultured, like I'm way cultured. If you're cultured, then you have social graces. Like, that means things like you don't belch at the table and you don't put your elbows on the table. Have you ever wondered where that came from, by the way? I'm going to tell you because I know. I know. Okay? Watch this. Back in the old days. Say, back in the old days. Now, now we're talking about older than Marquita. Okay? Older than Marquita. All right? Older than Marquita. They, when you're a sailor and you're sailing on the boats, the rocking of the boat would make your plate slide. So a seasoned sailor would learn to hold the plate in place with the elbows and then would eat and hold plate with the elbows. Well, the king was looking for new sailors to put into his navy. And he was looking for seasoned sailors. And so they would rush into a house around dinner time and look for men that had their elbows on the table. And they knew that was a sign of a seasoned sailor. So the byword became, if you, unless you want to be conscripted into the king's navy, don't eat with your elbows on the table. Now you can go home and impress your friends with wonderful, bountiful knowledge. All right? Then grace might be what we do right before we eat. You know, we want to say grace. We thank God for our food. But we know, as Christ followers, that really grace is something called God's unmerited favor. When God gives us something, we do not deserve. In fact, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, at the first part. For by grace you have been saved. By God's unmerited favor you have been saved. Nothing you did, nothing you could do. It was God's unmerited favor that we call grace, that God calls grace, that He extended to us so we could have forgiveness of sins. Now, let me tell you something I know about grace. Grace is something that we really like to receive, but sometimes it's hard to give away. Grace is something that's easy to receive and hard to give away. And we really see this in the life of a guy that we've been studying, and his name is Jonah. In fact, we're in the last message of a four-part series, and we've learned so much. But in case you're going, well, now, who is this guy named Jonah? Can you show that little short video I, I got there, Ronnie? What do you say to that, huh? What do you say to that? (laughs) 
You've heard, you heard the gospel in a song, and you saw the story of Jonah in a way you've probably never seen it before. Probably not exactly scripturally accurate, but hey, pretty good. I showed that to Brent. I said, Brent, I've got, I've got to show you what I found for this last one. And I just couldn't wait to show it to you today. But Jonah was a guy who really wrestled with grace. And here's the amazing part. I am Jonah, and guess what? So are you. So we want to look at Jonah chapter 4 today. Take your Bibles, please. Hope you brought your copy of the Word of God. We'll put it on the screen for you. But we want to look at Jonah chapter 4 and look at this topic entitled, Mad About Grace. We're going to kind of talk through the Scriptures. Then we're going to come back and get some teaching points that I want you to take home with you today. All right, so Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1. Here's how it starts. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Now, really what you've got to get is, is the reason, and this is chapter 3, the reason Jonah is so mad is because God spared Nineveh. God had said, you go tell the Ninevites that I'm going to destroy them in 40 days. And they repented and God showed them grace. God showed them unmerited grace favor, okay, and that really made Jonah mad. Now, the Bible sort of teaches what we do with our anger, particularly the book of Psalms, and so Jonah does what the book of Psalms says. He's angry, he's furious, and he prayed to the Lord. Now watch, here's what I want you to get. He did the right thing the wrong way. He did the right thing the wrong way. He prayed, but the way he prayed is incredibly wrong. Listen, listen, it's not a little bit wrong. It's a whole bunch wrong. Because here's what he does. Now, we've never done this. He balls out God. He flat just nails God. Or tries, I guess you can't nail God to the wall. But he tries to nail God to the wall. It goes something like this. He prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Now, that, that's just, you know, he said, God, I just knew that's what you're going to do. You're going to turn around and forgive them. Now, the amazing part to me is, and, and again, about us, is that Jonah had richly experienced God's grace. I mean, God had prepared a fish that swallowed him, okay? God prepared that fish to spit him up on the ground and give him a second chance to do what he's called to do. Jonah had experienced God's amazing grace. Jonah knew it not by what he read in the Bible. He had experienced God's grace, and yet he wants to deny that very grace to the people of Nineveh. Do you wonder why? Do you wonder why, perhaps? Well, first off, it's who they were. We shared this the first week, but let me share it with you again. The Ninevites were the enemy of Israel. Very possibly. They were very cruel people. They not only killed people, they killed them in a very harsh way. A lot of torture, a lot of pain. They didn't spare the women. They didn't spare the children. They were just really a mean people. And they attacked Israel over and over and over and over again. And because of the hometown of Jonah being near the border, there's a very good chance he saw raids coming. And experienced the wrath of Assyria, the Ninevites. And, and then most likely, possibly, he may have even lost family members to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians. So he hated them because of who they were. And the last thing he wanted 
was for God to show grace to them. He despised them because of what they were. But the second reason probably is this. Jonah was a prophet. Now, now let me explain. The message that God gave Jonah the second time to Nineveh was this. Go to Nineveh and tell them this. In 40 days, I, God, is going to destroy your city. In 40 days, God is going to destroy your city. End of message. I think it comes out like seven words in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Now, if, if, if the message had been this. Go to Nineveh and tell them in 40 days, I'm going to destroy their city unless they repent. Well, that would have been a different story. Then he would, you know, boy, he would have preached. They would have repented. He'd gone back home. Everybody said, it's the next Billy Graham. He preached a seven-word message, and God relents and sin. They repent and sins grace. Let's all hear for Jonah. But the message was destruction. If you are a prophet, and what you said didn't come true, they all said he's definitely not the next Billy Graham. In fact, he has no business being a prophet. So he was afraid. A part of him was afraid that if he went back home, people were going to say you're a failure. You call yourself a prophet, and what you prophesied didn't even come true. In fact, I believe the Old Testament teaches that if a prophet teaches something that doesn't come true, you're to take him out and stone him. So it wasn't only the fact of who they were, it's who we was, and that was a prophet, and it didn't work out exactly right, thanks to God. But the third thing is this, who God was. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love. And again, He did not want them to experience that. He wanted the wrath of God. He didn't want them to experience the wonderful grace of God. I don't suppose you've ever had a situation like that. Come on. You know, God zap them. God zap them. And when God doesn't zap them, in fact, He almost seems to bless them, you go, what's up with that, God? I mean, don't you have to be God? I mean, come on. A little thunder, a little lightning? Come on, God. And it doesn't happen. So because of those three things, He was just... Flat out mad at God. In fact, he's so stressed out. He says in verse 3, And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, this shows you how twisted things are. In, in Jonah's mixed up mind, saving Nineveh was evil and really committing suicide was good. And his, where he was mentally, the fact that God spared Nineveh was an evil thing. And his own demise or death, God, why don't you kill me, was good. It's a crazy mixed up place where Jonah was. And so God asked him a question. Verse 4, the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? And you know what Jonah does? He ignores God. Doesn't respond doesn't speak, no change of action, just simply ignores God. So what happens next? The Bible says in verse number 5, Then Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah, I love the, the one of the commentaries I read on this, basically like a spoiled child, like a child having a temper tantrum, he stomps off and says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just show God. And he goes out east of the city, probably about a day's journey, finds him a nice place of observation and just watches the city. Do you ever wonder why he's watching for? 
He's watching to see, one, would the city fail? Come on. We've all seen people get saved and they were the worst sinner in town. And some folks would sit back and go, yeah, let's just see how long he lasts. And so Jonah, I think, had in mind, looking over this terrible, horrible city in his, in his observation, and saying, let's just see how long they live it. And if they fail, I can go back to God and say, hey, God, I told you. Hey, God, <laughs> I was right. You were wrong. And then... If they didn't fail, it would just feed his anger. And sometimes we do that. When, when we're angry about something that God does, we find ways to feed our anger. We find ways to feed our resentment so we can get more angry and more angry and more angry about the situation. So, so here we find ourselves in this situation, and then the Bible says this. Verse 6. Then the Lord appointed a plant. Now remember, he's already appointed a fish. Now he appoints a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. Now, this was an unexpected blessing. Lo and behold, he's out there in this little makeshift shelter, and all of a sudden, a plant, a gourd plant probably, grows up and provides this wonderful shade, and Jonah becomes enamored with the plant. Because Jonah was all about Jonah. And when Jonah was happy, the whole world seemed right. So he goes from, I wish I was dead, to, well, isn't God good? He sent this wonderful plant to me, you know, sent this wonderful blessing to me. But now, listen, here's an important teaching point. We do the same thing Jonah does. The plant to Jonah was a blessing. End of story. God did something good for me. Okay? What Jonah didn't realize, and what we often don't realize when God sends blessings, God does nothing arbitrarily. God does nothing just to do something. God doesn't waste anything. Every facet of our lives, every circumstance, every blessing, and everything that's not a blessing has a purpose. God is not a purposeless God. He's a very purposeful God. Okay? So, I'm teaching you today is when God sends blessings, find out why. Because God doesn't waste anything. Hey, you remember, don't you? You know, Jesus said the 5,000, fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, probably like 10,000 people. And you know, he took the, the five loaves, two fish, did, did the miracle thing, fed them all, and then what do you tell the boys? Go out and collect what's left over so nothing can be wasted. So nothing can be wasted. They come back and how many baskets fulls? Twelve. Twelve basketfuls. Twelve basketfuls came back in. One for each, one for each guy. Okay? So, so God doesn't waste anything. So God sends this blessing. Jonah simply saw it in his limited mind. Oh, look, God gave me a blessing. But God's got a bigger plan as you're fixing to see. All right, let's read a little further. Verse number seven. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. First we have... A fish. Now we have a plant. And now we have a worm. Okay? God appointed a worm. God sent the worm that and attacked the plant. And it withered. And the sun was, as the sun was rising, 
God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Have you thought yet that Jonah just might be a drama queen? This guy swings like a pendulum. One minute, God is good. The next minute, I want to die. God is good. I want to die. Just back and forth, back and forth. But God sent a worm. And then God sent, after the plant died, he sent this really, really hot wind. The only thing I want you to remember right now is this. God doesn't waste anything. When he sends you a blessing, there's a purpose. When he sends you a worm, there's a purpose. And when he sends a scorching east wind, there is a purpose. There's a purpose in all of it. So the drama queen says, okay, I'm ready to die. And God said, no, just maybe you're ready to listen. Here's what God says. Then God asked Jonah a rhetorical question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He goes back to what he said in verse number four. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now, it is a rhetorical question with an expected answer. And the expected answer is this. The correct answer would have been this because it's rhetorical. No, God, you're absolutely right. I should not be angry about the plant. After all, I did not plant the plant. I did not water the plant. I did not cause the plant to grow. Certainly, Lord, you're right. I had nothing to do with it. It came and it went. You know, that's fine. But amazingly, that's not what Jonah says. He says, yes, I have. It is right. I'm angry enough to die. Let me read it again. Yes, he says. It is right, I'm angry enough to die. Now, how did, how did Jonah miss that? How did he miss the fact that God was asking this rhetorical question with an obvious answer? He was blinded. He was so, now you can identify with this, he was so angry, the obvious became end obvious. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so angry that you made some really dumb mistakes? You know, we can become blinded by our anger. By our lust, by our bitterness, by our uh, unforgiving spirit, by jealousy, sin has a blinding effect. And Jonah was blinded by that and totally missed what God was wanting to say to him. Anger, sin will do that. All right. So so we get to that point. And then the Bible says, so the Lord said. You cared about the plant. He says, now, Jonah, I know this is from your perspective. You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, I know what you're thinking. You cared about the plant because it benefited you. You cared about the plant because it was a blessing to you. You cared about the plant because it it fulfilled you. It, It helped you. It ministered to you. It was a blessing. And when the blessing was taken away, you got all fired up. Okay? But now watch this. Now we're going to look at God's perspective. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their left and their right, as well as many animals? Jonah, you're all worked up because the air conditioning didn't work in the sanctuary. You're all worked up because you went to the bathroom again. There was no toilet paper. 
You're all worked up because the sermon went 45 instead of 35. You're all worked up. You're all worked up. You're all, but, but Jonah, why should I not be worked up? Because there's 120,000 people in that city who are either spiritually... You know, some people say these are people that were mentally challenged, mentally handicapped people. Some commentaries say they were in spiritual darkness, which they were spiritually handicapped. It doesn't matter. God's saying, you're all worked up about something that benefited you. I'm all worked up because I'm a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love. How can you miss this, Jonah? It's incredible. Now, here's the cool part. You know what happens next? We don't know. That is the end of Jonah. There is no... Jonah going, oh, wow, God, you're absolutely right. How could I miss that one? There's no God, no Jonah stomping off and going to be a salesman at Walmart. It just ends. And that's cool. You know why that's cool? Because it lets us put ourselves in Jonah's place. You, you've heard throughout the weeks, I am Jonah, you are Jonah. Okay? And so we're allowed to put ourselves there and go, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this chapter 4? Where we're all worked up and fired up because our comfort zones have been violated. But God's saying, wait a minute, there's something bigger than our comfort zone. And we get to make a decision. We get to choose what to do. It's pretty cool. God's Word does that a couple of times. Jesus, some of His parables, just, it just ends. Now, what can we, I hope you've already learned a little bit. But what else can we learn? Well, in your sermon sheet, you've got it there. I've got two that say us and two that say God. So look at the first one. This is us one. Mad about grace. Mad about grace. Now, this is a play on words. Okay? And I'll show you what I mean in just a moment. Mad about grace means this. If you are a Christ follower today, if you have any, any grasp of what it means to be a product of God's grace... You are very, very grateful that God extended His unmerited favor to you. Can I have an amen? I mean, if you have any concept of, of heaven and hell, if you have any concept of the wrath of God, that God's wrath was going to be poured out on you because of your unconfessed sin, and yet in His mercy He provided grace, if you have a concept of that, you are a fan of You're mad about grace. Like, for instance, I hope Judy knows I'm mad about her. I mean, I was really mad that first time I walked in that church. There's like seven girls standing around Pana, and she was the one that caught my eye. I instantly got enamored with her. I was mad about her. Of course, I'm also mad about pecan pie, but not the same way. Not the same way. Pooter's much more important than pecan pie. So if you've experienced grace, you probably go, yeah, I'm mad about grace. But then that play on words, sometimes we are... Mad about grace. Someone's offended you. Someone's hurt you. You don't like what's going on in this world. And God has not responded either A, the way you wanted Him to, or B, not as fast as you wanted to, and you're mad about it. You're holding God's feet to the fire and say, God, if you're the God who say you are, forget grace. Judge them. Judge them. And the irony of that is, We've experienced God's grace. Every once in a while I tell you that, you know, today looks like we're a little skinny today for whatever reason, but let's say there's 295 or 300 people here today. You know, every one of us have sinned against God. 
There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's true outside these walls today, but it's true of every person in these walls, inside these walls today. And as we have experienced God's grace, logically, we should want others to experience God's grace. But let's forget logic. Let's forget Dwayne said, what does the Word of God say? Let me read a scripture to you. I always like to jump to the New Testament. And this is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, Paul says to the church of Colossae, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Bearing one another. Bearing one another. You know what that means, don't you? Putting up with one another. We are to put up with one another. Since we're not perfect, there's going to be some times you just got to put up with one another. Okay? But here's the, here's the golden nugget. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. See, notice it's in command format. It's imperative in the Greek. We are to, as God has extended grace to us, we are to extend grace to other people. To the same measure that God has extended grace to us, we are to extend grace to others. And it's a command. You know, God's Word is saying, if you're going to be a Christ follower, this is what you do with grace. Is that easy? My goodness, no. I'm going to be honest with you, and I think these two other ordained guys would agree with me. It's only hard for the lay people. It's hard for we guys that got a piece of paper on says we've been set apart for the gospel to preach and teach the gospel. It's difficult. But I think Philippians 4.13 still says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I still think the Bible teaches that when I got saved, the Holy Spirit indwells me to help me show grace to others. Amen? Amen. Now, another scripture. We've got plenty of time. Mark 11. Listen to this. Uh, 25 and 26. Jesus speaking. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, say anything against anyone. Pretty inclusive, isn't it? There's not really a lot of leeway there. Anything against anyone, forgive him. Forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Oh. And this is Jesus talking. He said... If we want God to forgive our trespasses, we must forgive others their trespasses. And I'm not prepared to teach it this morning, but I just want to throw a ball out there somewhere and let you bat it around. You know, there's a thing called the great white throne judgment. And that means every person who's never trusted Jesus Christ will give account for their sins. We're not in that group. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will never stand before God to give an account for the penalty of your sins. They've been paid for. But there's another thing called the judgment seat of Christ, where it says we will give an account before Christ, the good and the bad, 
to see if we have earned a reward. And I'm telling you, the judgment seat of Christ, you study it, and we'll preach it one day. But the judgment seat of Christ is not some picnic. It's not some place where we have a, a medal stand and you get medals put around your neck. There's going to be an accountability time. God wants to know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, how did you spend your time? How did you spend your money? Men, what kind of husbands were you? Ladies, what kind of wives were you? Mom and daddy, what kind of parents were you? Kids, what kind of children? Daughters and sons were you? Doorstep, how did you conduct business? There will be an accountability time for that. And as we have experienced grace, we are to give grace away. As we've experienced forgiveness, we are to forgive other people. All right? So, mad about grace. The second one's this one. Us still. Mad about comfort. Mad about comfort. Now, now, God was amazed. If, 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 if God could be amazed, He was amazed. God was amazed that Jonah was more concerned about a plant than he was a hundred and twenty thousand people. God looked at that and went, there's something wrong with this. Now, if Jonah had been a pagan, okay, God probably would have just said, well, there's a pagan. But he was, a, he was a, a child of God. He belonged to the people of God. He was a prophet of God. And God was just amazed that Jonah's going, now let me get this right, okay? You're more worried about your plant dying than you are 20, 120,000 people? So here's the question. What about you? Where do you, convert, where do you spend your energy in this world? Do you spend your energy worrying about the things or the kingdom? Do you get more worked up about stuff or do you get more worked up about the lost? I wrote something down on my page that I will share with you because every once in a while I like being transparent. Because I just know you guys think I get, you know, I, I state these messages and you go, well, you don't wrestle with this stuff. You're the preacher. Or you do wrestle with it just like us and it doesn't matter. I do wrestle with it. You know, I told Judy, you know, we don't drive new cars. We drive old cars. My old Grand Prix was 12 years old and had 161,000 miles on it. And I was okay with that because it really looked good. I mean, you know, when you pull in the parking lot, unless you were just like, you know, you're like, preacher's got a classic. You didn't say, preacher's got an old car. You said, Dwayne, that's a good-looking Grand Prix, bud. Well, something happened like 10 days ago now, and Rod Wallace called me, and he deals cars. He said, Dwayne, you told me to ever let you know if we get a really good Grand Prix in. Well, buddy, I think we've got one coming. I said, tell me about it, baby. He goes, it's an O2. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dwayne, it's got 43,000 miles on it. And it is class A straight. Oh, oh, oh. A little heart struggle. So, 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 long story short, I mean, I saw the car and really, you know, it's got a few, few imperfections. I mean, it's a really cool car. Ten years old. But it's like driving a new car almost. It's really cool. Well, I, I, I'm pretty proud of it. And then I took it somewhere and the bottom line is there's about a scratch that long that wasn't there before I took it where I took it. Can you just can you just believe it? 
They smashed my car. And it wasn't like very long, like the next morning's prayer time. God goes something like this. So, Pastor, are you more concerned about the scratch in your car or the 120,000 lost people? What's it going to be? See, I have a tendency to get worked up about things that don't matter. I wrestle with it. And truthfully, you do too. We're mad about grace. We're mad about grace. We're, we're mad about this comfort thing. You know, guys, you know, listen. We've only got so much time and so much energy. And if we could just learn, if we could just learn to control the, the energy robbers, we could be a better dad. We could be a better mom. We'd be better pastors when we brand. You guys would be better lay people, teachers, deacons, if we could learn to control the energy robbers in our lives. I'm telling you, we spend a whole lot of time getting worked up about things that really, really, one, they don't matter to God, and two, in the scope of eternity, they just don't matter. So, mad about comfort. Then we have, now we're, now we're on God, mad about you. I'm going to say something, understanding, I understand the wrath of God, but God's not mad at you. God's mad about you. That's a good place for an amen. God's mad about you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, God is mad about you. In fact, so mad, he said this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's so mad about you that he came up with the most incredible plan to arrange for you to have the opportunity to receive forgiveness of your sins so you could be part of the family. He sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus, as God, strapped on a human body and became the God-man. He lived a perfect life. He taught He allowed himself to be crucified. And on the third day, he resurrected again. And that's the short version. And God did that because he loves you. If you're here today, it's not about religion. It's not about Baptist. It's not about starting and quitting. It's about you receiving the greatest gift ever. And that's the gift of Jesus Christ to come to your life, forgive your sins through God's amazing grace, and through faith. I mean, think about this. There's a story that's told. A man was sitting in his house, and he had glass windows, patio windows, they call them. And a bird flew into the glass, boom, and fell down, shook it off, and flew back out in the yard. And incredibly, a few minutes later, the same bird, boom, and fell down. He one about three times. And the guy didn't know what to do. He couldn't open the door because if he opened the door, the bird would come in the house and that wasn't going to be a good solution. And he said to himself, if only I could become a bird. If I went out and told him, he wouldn't understand. But if I could become a bird, then I could explain to him that what he's doing 
is hurting him. And that's what God did. God became one of us so he could convey the message that God is mad about you. He loves you and wants to forgive your sins. The amazing plan of redemption and salvation. But if you're already a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer today, God's mad about you too. He's not mad at you. God's mad about you. He's mad enough about you to send you a plant. Anyone here ever been blessed by God? Can I have a witness? Yeah, come on. We've been blessed. Yeah. God loves us enough. He loves us enough to send us a plant. But He also loves us enough to send us a worm. Because you see... It's in those harder times. We sometimes recognize God and the blessings, but often we recognize truly the majesty and the grace and the power and the forgiveness of Almighty God when He sends a worm. And that is about when you say, you know, it probably can't get any worse. And then God sends a scorching east wind. You know what? Please, are you hearing me today? Are you listening? That stuff doesn't happen because God's angry at you. He has a purpose. Remember, nothing is wasted. Go get the leftovers, 12 baskets full. God is not sitting up in heaven, spinning a wheel, saying, let's see what we're going to let Dwayne experience today. God is a God who has a purposeful purpose for you individually. And he's working things out. I love it. David, God is sovereign. Over the minutest detail of my life, God is sovereign. And over the gigantic decisions of my life, God is sovereign. He's a powerful, sovereign God. Grab this. Take this home. I know this is hard. But God is working. God, let me read I wrote it, so let me read it. God will allow or do anything within his character to bring glory to himself and mature you. God will do anything or allow anything into your life within his character that will bring glory to himself and to mature you. That's what God is doing in your life. That's what God is doing in your life. I know, again, you listen to other pastors and, and you sometimes hear an invitation, just trust God, just trust God. And, and if, you, if you receive Jesus, you know, He'll fix everything and you'll never be poor and you'll never this and you'll never that. The problem is that's a fairy tale. That's not scriptural. God is in the business of bringing glory to His name and maturing you. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are the called according to His purpose. 
Not everything is good. Jackie, do you know that today? Not everything is good. She lost her great-granddaughter in a tragic accident. You've probably seen it on the news. Not everything is good, but God can bring good from everything because He's sovereign. See? See? Now watch this. You, you grab hold of this like there's no tomorrow. You put a bear hug on this. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. There it is. God is in the process of helping you conform to the image of His Son. And whatever God, the Master Builder, the Master Creator, the All-Wise God, whatever God sees will help you be conformed to His Son is the things He's going to allow and do in your life. For some, it's... Blessing, 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 blessing. For some, it's blessing, blessing, worm. Blessing, blessing, worm. Blessing, 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 worm. And some, it's, it's blessing, worm, hot wind, hot wind, hot wind. Blessing, worm, worm, blessing, hot worm. Hot worm. Well, you get the point. You see what I'm trying to say? But understand this. Do not let that taint your image of God. Because God loves you. God is mad about you. But His chief purpose is to bring glory to your name and to help you look like Jesus. That's what life is about. That's what Christ is about. That's what sanctification is about. The process of being sanctified means to be set apart. Set apart. God is mad about you. And lastly, this is huge. God is mad about them. God is mad about them. If Jonah teaches anything, and I hope over the last four weeks you've learned it's taught a whole lot. But one of the big messages of Jonah is that God has a missionary heart. God has a missionary heart. God was willing to put Jonah in great distress to bring the Ninevites to a relationship with him. Guys, it's not about us. I'm sorry, it's not. We are, listen, those of us who are safely in the lifeboat... Our sole purpose is to stand in hand to those that are still in the water. We, we should not be wrapped up in a blanket saying, boy, I'm safe and I'm comfortable. No, that's not what God said. God said we are to be a lighthouse. We're to be salt and light to this world. Helping others come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me read one more scripture to you. Again, I think you'll remember it's, very, it's a very popular scripture. All the tax collectors and sinners were, were approaching him. To listen to him. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And the Pharisees, the religious guys, and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Jesus tells them this parable. What man among you who has 100 sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he's found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And here's what your Savior says. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. God cares about the one. God's glad you're in the boat. He's glad I'm in the boat. But his focus is is still those people out there 
who have never met Jesus Christ as Savior. That, have you noticed the boxes? That's next week. That's when a thousand people will come through our building. That's when probably somewhere around three or four hundred parents will be asked this question. Is there anything I can pray with you about? That's our hook to get them spiritually interested. To help them understand it's not about pencils and pens. It's about their relationship with Jesus Christ. God loves lost people. And we need to love lost people. That's what it's all about. So, can I ask a couple of questions? Are you mad about grace? Are, are you truly thankful today? Because, you know, sometimes when we lose our job and stuff, we kind of like lose focus of that God's made not as good as we thought He was. Let me just remind you, I say this on Wednesday nights frequently, I'll say to you this morning. If you have been saved today, if your sins have been forgiven, if you're a Christ follower, a believer, a Christian, if, if God did nothing else for you the rest of your life, the fact that you'll never go to hell and be eternally separated from God is a whole bunch. I mean, that's incredible. That's like, yeah, come on. That's huge. That's huge. It really is. Okay? So are you mad about grace? And, and, and is there someone in your life that you're mad about grace? That God's forgiven, that God's seeking to restore, and you're mad. You say, God, zap them, kill them, judge them. You just need to remember what God's did for you, done for you. Pray for them that God would extend grace. And trust God to do what God needs to do to bring them to repentance and to restoration. Are you mad about grace? Are you mad about comfort? Are you, are you, are you, are you an energy waster? I am, by the way. I can test too. Energy waster? Do, do you all worked up over things that don't matter? You know, shoot the energy wasters. Determine in your heart, by God's help, you are not going to allow Satan to bring energy wasters into your life. You're going to conserve that energy for the things that matter, and that's the eternal things. All right? Um, are you going to take home today that, that God's mad about you? In a moment, Brent's going to be standing down front, and we're going to have a time of decision. And that's the time for you to come up to Brent and say, Brent, the preacher said that God's mad about me that he sent Jesus to die for me, I want to know how I can have forgiveness of sins. And we've got some friends here who will tell you exactly how you can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and God as Father. Amen? If you're here today and you've already trusted Christ, take home that God's mad about you. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. And if sometimes that plan seems hard, just keep in focus. He's trying to make you like Jesus. That's what it's all about. And remember, church, remember, church, God is mad about them. He loves this world. And that's why Haiti's important, and Nicaragua's important, and Africa's important, and Chicago's important. And guess what? Harrisburg's important. Because God loves people more than anything. Would you bow your heads right there? Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. And first and foremost, I want to thank you for your incredible, amazing grace. It's incredible. Your unmerited favor. We've done nothing to deserve it, and yet you've given it to us. For my friends here today who have never experienced that grace, could today, would today, be that day. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw men and women to yourself that they might experience the wonderful forgiveness that's available through Jesus Christ. Father, as we work through grace in our lives,
Other times when we're angry because you show it to others and we don't think they're worthy, remind us that that was us. If we forget that we've experienced grace and things don't go well in our lives and so we become angry at you, would you forgive us? Would you help us to remember that you have a plan and a purpose and you're trying to mold us and shape us like Jesus? Would you help us remember that? Holy Spirit, I'm asking, in Jesus' precious name, in Jesus' powerful name, that you speak to hearts right now. Only you can affect change. Only you can draw men and women to the Father, and only you can cause us to apply the Word of God. So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, please to do that. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.